Welcome back to the Jonathan underscore Foster podcast. This is season number three. It's something of a mini series kind of a season. It's going to come to you by way of four installments. Each episode is going to address a particular and pretty specific question that has been asked by me of, well, many of you and others who have been on the deconstruction and reconstruction journey. But also, to be fair, it's also been asked inside of my own head. So I've had to work through some of these things uh, quite a bit myself. But questions like, uh, why do I still read the Bible? Or why do I still pray? You know, why do I still go to church? Um, And then I think I'm going to do one on why I still call myself a Christian, although I don't really call myself a Christian, um, but I still identify as a Christian. But I, I try not to call myself a Christian because there's so much baggage associated with it when you bring it up. I mean, it can mean so many different things to so many different people. And there's no rule. I mean, there's no like mandate that says you have to call yourself a Christian if you are a Jesus follower or a person who is following after the way or a person who is pursuing love. And these are all the kinds of phrases that I tend to use. So we're going to talk about that one week. So why I still pray, why I still read the Bible, why I still, yes, go to church and why I still identify as a Christian. For some of you who, as I said, have been on this journey, you uh, are probably going to you're, you're think probably that some of my responses are a little bit Christian-y, a little bit churchy, and uh, I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm still a pastor, and so I'm sure some of those things are going to come across that way. But just know that, again, and I'll say it many times throughout this season and others, I'm cool with whatever journey you're on, as long as you're pursuing love, and pursuing and doing it with a sense of self-compassion and growing as a human being, um, I think that's all congruent with where, you know, love is taking people through the biblical journey. Then, of course, there'll be others of you that will come from it from the complete opposite end, and that is, you know, you've never even entertained some of these things before. Maybe you haven't listened to the previous seasons of this podcast or read any of my stuff, or any of the people that I read, or any of the people that I listen to. So for you, you're just you're going to think this is full on heresy. And I, I'll just tell you right up front: I would say lean into the heresy, man. Don't be afraid. Don't don't hold back. Lean into it, and give yourself space and grace and room to figure out what it is that you think. Find in this space that we're creating here a community where you can. Be yourself and not have to feel pressured to believe a particular thing. And or as you feel these questions, like that this is a space where you can pull on the thread and uh, begin to grow and learn and unlearn and figure out what it is that you believe. Now, if and when you do come to your own ideas, in all likelihood, you're going to offend the aforementioned religious institution. They don't want you... They. I don't think they mean it to be mean in most cases, but they really don't want you to think for yourself because then they know it could subvert their whole system, which of course cycles us back to Jesus because he was someone who subverted the entire religious system. So when you find yourself going through something like that, just just know you're in good company. Now that's not to say that any of us can ever come to any conclusions about anything without the help of other people. 
I don't think that's possible at all. We are such relational creatures. Everything about us is built up by what others think. Uh, we are constructed by the, by the constructs of society. There's no way around that. So you're not going to get to what you believe without listening to others, but neither will you get to what you believe without really listening to yourself. So go for it. Recognize that love believes in you and is giving you space and freedom to kind of come up with some of your own conclusions. I hope you've had a chance to check out the Patreon page. It's something new that I'm trying. It's patreon.com backslash, you guessed it, Jonathan underscore Foster. I shouldn't have said you guessed it. That is not in the title. Actually, the page is called patreon.com backslash Jonathan underscore Foster. And as you plug in, it'll help me do even more of these audio recording files and some writing and some, well, what I think could wind up being really helpful and hopefully important work. So thank you. All right. Today, in this mini-series of season three, we're calling Why I Still Fill in the Blank. Today is Why I Still Pray. Yes. Thank you. One of my favorite prayers, if one can have a favorite prayer. Well, why couldn't one have a favorite prayer? All right, so one of my favorite prayers is when our youngest, Evan, was about two, two and a half. It was uh, following one of our church gatherings, and we had gathered around the lunch table. I don't know, maybe he was feeling extra spiritual. He had never done this before. And also, he doesn't necessarily, you know, go out of his way to speak publicly. So it really caught my attention when he said, Dad, I want to pray. And so, of course, I let him, and he, he closed his hands and bowed his head and he opened one eye with his little finger and he said thank you god for the fries and the ketchup which you know i thought was a pretty good prayer for a two-year-old and we all laughed the problem is he prayed that same prayer publicly two or three times after that even in settings where there was no fries or ketchup present in retrospect it's it's possible that maybe maybe he just ate too many french fries of course, I guess one of my other favorite prayers is my son, Shay, when he was about that age, at, at bedtime one night, he said, God, thanks for everything in the whole wide world except for bears and tornadoes. Amen. Okay, enough stories about my boys praying. Like I said, the question has been posed to me, why would I still be praying if I don't believe that God necessarily knows the future? If I don't necessarily believe that God can just step in and fix something, if I don't if I don't think that God controls, what is even the point of me praying? And it's a good question. So I thought I would give you four reasons why it is that I still pray. Although for sure, prayer does look different than it used to for me. First of all, I, I pray because it's what Jesus and the early church did. And Jesus lived a life that is so compelling to me still that I'm actually really interested in emulating some of his practices. So there are tons of references. I say tons. There's probably over 30 references to Jesus praying in the gospel stories. He's praying in all kinds of different situations before healing, after healing, uh, as he gives thanks, in the synagogue, in the garden, on the cross, in public, and by himself. And so prayer was very much a part of his life. Prayer was very much a part of the first believers' lives. 
it seemed their entire movement was steeped in prayer and prayers, the plural. Uh, Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, life together, common meal, and the prayers, which is interesting. It's not just praying extemporaneously. It seems as though the way that sentence is structured in the plural, that they were praying prayers that had been handed down to them which I think is significant in the sense that they weren't just making some stuff up themselves. They were actually operating within a community that already had some tradition and a, and a way of praying, and they were adopting and adapting that. That's really important for someone like me, because someone like me, I, I enjoy trying whole new things, and I've been tempted on more than one occasion during this deconstruction, reconstruction journey to blow everything up and just to start over. It's been helpful for me to stay tethered to some of the tradition, to some of those things that the people that have followed after Jesus have been doing for several centuries. Obviously, there's a tension in all of that because there are some things that I, that I definitely want to do away with. But I continue to pray because it's what Jesus did. It's what the early church did. And I still think that that is a compelling reason to at least wrestle with it. Another reason I continue to pray is because prayer for me has turned into, how should I say this? It's a way to increase the interiority of who I am so that I can hold things better. Because the theology behind all this for me is that the cross isn't the place where everything gets fixed. It's the place where everything is held. And I love that. That's been deeply uh, profoundly influential all my life over the last few years. Jesus, incarnating God, shows us how to be fully human. He stretches out his hands and holds all things, the good and the bad. He holds them all in a loving embrace such that all things are being, are being brought together in unity. And as he's holding the whole world, including me, with all of its chaos and pain and joy and regret and potential, I find strength to hold my little world with all of its chaos, pain, joy, regret, and potential. And it feels like after a while, the interiority of me is getting bigger. It's like, I don't know, a type of excavation that's going on inside of me. In fact, most mornings, that's my mental picture, going inward to find myself and God layered under the sediment of life. Most of the time, moving all the sediment, it's pretty boring. It's pretty uneventful. But I continue to go into these excavation sites because I'm not doing it for a particular experience. Every once in a while, something extraordinary kind of seems to happen. But most of the time, it's just, it's like in the process of digging out all of the stuff. It's like the process itself is where I really find the benefit and it's forming me. It's helping me. It's, it's influencing me. I can tell it over time. I may not tell it in a particular moment, but I can tell it over time, which is helpful for me because when I'm short-sighted, I want the prayer to make a difference right in that moment. But the truth is, at least my truth right now is, my, my current belief is I don't know that God can fix things in the moment. And I don't really think that God necessarily knows how everything's going to play out exactly. 
Although, by the way, I do think he's got some good ideas about a lot of stuff. But if he doesn't know how everything's going to play out exactly, and if he can't fix stuff right in that moment, it means that my ability and willingness to align myself with love and increase my interiority to hold things, that's really important. Because then my actions that come out of that kind of space really matter. If my interiority is small and petty and unforgiving and scapegoat-driven, then guess what? My actions will reflect that, which is why I think it's so important to channel my inner Proverbs 4.23 to guard the wellspring of your heart because everything flows from that. It's been said that war isn't conflict, but rather war is the inability to deal with conflict. And so if I can align myself with love, then I can do my part to deal with conflict and whatever else comes to me at any given time. If I can hold my internal conflict with the presence of someone who cares for me so much, which I think is God and love, then it gets me out of my self-preoccupied environment. And I've experienced all of that in prayer over time. And I can genuinely tell you that even though prayer doesn't always change things, Prayer is changing me. Now, you might be someone who says, hey, I get that, but I get the same benefit from meditation. And if you do, I say go for it. I don't have any problem with that. And I don't think there's any reason for the Jesus follower to be overly worried or to be worried at all about uh, the benefits of meditating and of calming oneself down and trying to increase, you know, to borrow the same kind of language, to increase one's interiority without praying. I'm fine with that. If you're getting at love, let's go for it. Because increasing that space really is a major part of the point of living a full human, of living the full human experience. And that's true no matter what kind of background you come from. And that's why atheists will often tout the benefits of meditation. If it's getting you to a place where you're a more compassionate person, where you have more empathy in your life, where you're not as anxious, where you're calm, all of that is congruent with biblical love. It's crazy how the evangelical West Christian tradition has taught us to be so fearful of that kind of thing. In fact, I would say the moment you see them pushing back in fear, that's the moment you realize you're, you're touching on something that's really good in your life. So, so for me, it's been prayer. For you, it might be meditation or yoga or something else that you're doing or just taking a really long hike. That's cool. Uh, but I continue to pray because I can see that it's influencing me. All right. I know I just said that prayer doesn't necessarily fix things in the moment, that it doesn't influence other things, that it's primarily influencing me. But I do have to say that I continue to pray because by faith, I do believe that at some level it's influencing others and influencing something. So I'm trying not to contradict myself, so hang in here with me. It's true, I haven't prayed for God to fix or heal or change anything specifically in quite a while because I don't think love is controlling. But that doesn't mean I don't think prayer influences people and situations 
and our world. So I don't always know how, but by faith, I believe this. But this calls for a word on faith. I am personally less and less interested in having faith in prayer, or to say it another way, a faith in Christ. And I'm more and more interested in having the faith of Christ, which I think probably loops us back to the very first point. But it's, it's less of getting him in here to fix me, if I could say it that way, and more about me opening myself up and then following after him, following the way. Faith is not a mental assent. It's not an affirmation of a belief. It's not a saying uh, or a creed or an intellectual acceptance of God. Though none of those things are necessarily unimportant. They're all good things to wrestle with. But faith really isn't formulaic. Although many of us have whittled faith down to just, you know, getting it right in our head. But that kind of faith, it doesn't usually change one's heart or one's lifestyle. In fact, that kind of faith winds up being dead. At, at best, it's frozen. At worst, it's dead. And I've seen it, and you've probably seen this too. I've seen it inspire atheism and other people. Because when we define faith intellectually, then people can come up with intellectual arguments against it. And then they can say, well, I don't believe in that, and therefore I don't believe in God, which is their prerogative and their right. And by the way, they're probably, they're probably arriving at that conclusion for good, right, and honest reasons, because we have presented faith so intellectually over the years. But one doesn't really know love intellectually, and this thing is about love. It's not necessarily about what you believe in that particular moment. It's about love. Paul even says that, Galatians 5, 16, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And God can only be loved and known in the act of love, which is to say God can only be experienced in relationship. It's a faith of and on the way. It's a faith of Christ and on the way of Christ. And on the way, we're all so incredibly interrelated. It's amazing. Our atoms, they come from somewhere else in the world. Our blood, it's red because of the iron in the stars. Particles of sweat from a raccoon in Utah can evaporate up in the air, float down the wind over here to where I live in Kansas City, get here by like next week, drop into the water. I drink the water, and those particles become a part of me. It's ridiculous. I was reminded recently by reading uh, Rob Bell's latest book, which for me I think is I think it's probably his best book. It's called Everything is Spiritual. But he talks in there about how a woman's monthly cycle is influenced like every woman everywhere since forever, according to the sequential, unflappably consistent movements of the moon. <laughs> if I remember right, he actually repeats the line because he knows it's a good line. And when you write a good line, sometimes you just have to repeat it. According to the sequential, unflappably consistent movements of the moon. In other words, the female body has an intuitive alignment with a rock floating some quarter million miles away from us. She is a woman, a human being, right here amongst us in flesh and blood, and yet there is something about her that is so planetary. There's something about all of us that is so planetary. We are all interconnected and interrelated in ways we have only yet to begun to discover. So right now, wherever you are, if you're driving in the car, you may not be able to do this. You may have to wait. 
But if you're somewhere else where you can do this, put your hand over your heart and just feel the heartbeat. Breathe. Feel yourself connected to everything around you. Think of the stars, the atoms, the raccoons, the blood, the reproductive cycles, the moon, all of it inside of you, and you inside all of it. Paul says in Romans 14, 7, none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. We're all interconnected. I added we're all interconnected part, but I think that's what Paul is saying. And don't even make me get started with quantum entanglement. Physicists have discovered that even after electrons are split, they demonstrate an awareness of each other. So you split two particles. And you change the way the one is turning. I say you, like you and I know how to do this. Physicists know how to do this. They split particles. They change the way one is turning. And then the other will turn as well, no matter where they're at in space. It happens regardless of the distance between them, without any known communication between the two of them. They know what the other is doing long after they've been parted even. I'm saying all of this, in particular in the context of prayer, because faith of Christ seems to me to be best approached when we think in terms of putting ourselves on the interrelated way of relationship with everyone and everything in the cosmos. I think it's likely that there's something like a quantum entanglement expression to our prayers. Prayer might even be divinely inspired quantum entanglement. That's what um, Aaliyah DeLeo says. What a great name that is. It's way cooler than Jonathan Foster, Aaliyah DeLeo. She says, uh, she's a Catholic physicist. Uh, She says, if things can affect one another despite distance or space-time coordinates, then nature's not composed of material substances, but deeply entangled fields of energy. The nature of the universe is undivided wholeness. Gosh, that's so good. Undivided wholeness. Relationships. Prayer, intercession, healing, love, and hate, heaven and hell, they all make sense on a whole new level if this is even remotely true. Christianity, and I think probably all religions, though I'm I'm not really an expert on other religions, but Christianity has long pointed to this kind of entanglement. Love seems to go with the flow, and sin, if you want to use the word of sin, goes against the flow. So yes, by faith, the faith of not necessarily the faith in, but by faith, I do believe prayer might influence others and influence things. So I continue to pray. Lastly, I pray because I do think that it's possible that something is going on that's bigger than me out there. Can it be proven? No, I really don't think so. And I suppose I hope it never will be proven because a life proven means life without risk and a life without risk is a life without love.
But I think it's likely that our prayer in one moment could influence what's possible in the next. And the God who is present to all receives our actions each moment. And in him we move and live and have our being. So maybe our prayers open up new possibilities to God. Maybe the blueprint, so to speak, of how a thing was going to go begins to change. And I hesitated when I used the word blueprint. That's not a word I normally like to use because to me it evokes too much of this idea that everything is predetermined, that we live in a closed-ended system. But um, blueprint was kind of the map, the metaphor, the thing that was used in a movie called The Adjustment Bureau, which isn't necessarily the best movie I've ever seen, but it does start to get at the idea of how things are affected by our choices. So that's kind of why I used it. So maybe take an hour or two and watch the show, and perhaps it'll open up your mind to a, to a fresh perspective on free agency, on our ability to choose, and how prayer and God, we all work together. The point is for me is that I think it's possible that prayer might open up options. Recently, I've been doing a lot of reading, even more than normal, because I started this dissertation work, which I'm really grateful to be doing. But man, it's been kicking my butt. But here's the thing. The more I read, the more I realize how much I don't know. It just keeps opening up the doors of information. I mean, it's true with everything we do. It's true with science. Think of the extraordinary things that we've learned. Has there ever been a, a scientist ever or a theologian ever or any other thing we've studied who's arrived at the end of a thing, you know, like at the end of this massive Discovery Channel documentary that you've watched? Has there, has there ever been a scientist who's come on at the end of that show and said, oh, there's less going on than we thought? Or the cosmologist who's studying the stars comes on at the end of the, of the show and says, you know, there's, there's less out there than we thought. There's less mystery. There's less to explore. There's less that we don't know. <laughs> no, that's never happened. It's always there's more. It reminds me of the story about the end of Steve Jobs' life. And I don't know anything about Steve Jobs' faith, so this isn't a commentary about that at all. But there's an article in the New York Times that I believe was written by Jobs' sister that details how the, few, how the last few hours of his life played out. And apparently he woke up a couple of different times, including the last time. And he, he looked at his sister, and then he looked at his children, and then he looked at his partner. And then he stared over their shoulder out into space, and he said three phrases. Actually, it was two words he repeated three times. He said, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And then he passed away. How crazy is that? And how crazy would it be for someone like me, if I can use the word crazy, to give up on the idea that there might be something out there that, that's going to blow my mind, that there might be something out there that's bigger than me. I mean, if Steve Jobs can pass from this life to the next in awe of apparently the reality that there was something bigger than he had ever imagined happening, then I can certainly do my very best to live day to day as if I could trust that there might be something bigger than me. Okay, there you have it. Four reasons why I continue to pray. Number one, because Jesus did it and it seems to me that his life is worth emulating. Number two, while it's true that I don't think God controls things, certainly not in the way that I used to, 
I know something is happening to me on the inside that seems to be really meaningful and helpful. Number three, even though I don't think God controls, I do think it's possible based on my expanding, growing understanding of things like quantum entanglement and physics and the inner relationality of all of us in this world that something might be happening when I pray. And so by faith, the faith of Christ, I pray to open, to, to allow for new options in this world. Who knows? Maybe something will happen. Because fourthly and lastly, at the end of the day, for me, I still think there's a good chance that something bigger than me is going on in this universe. And if it is, then prayer is the way that I tap into that and allow it to tap in to me. All right. Thanks so much for joining me on this first of the mini-series, Season 3. There'll be more to come uh, in the following weeks. And thanks so much for participating, for having the courage to be on this journey. Reach out if there's anything I can help you with. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Peace.